You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. The first epistle of Peter, chapter 5, starting in verse 1, we will read verses 1 through 5. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to our God. We may be seated. Before I begin, we have kids' sermon notes. Uh, we do not have Redemption Hill kids today, but we have these. So kiddos, fill this out, bring it up. Afterwards, I've got a treat for you. We also have totes as well, so those are located in the hallway uh, if that serves you. And also, uh, as I said in an email recently, on the weeks we don't have Redemption Hill kids, we'll have a restless kids' room that's just right across the hall. So kids, I, I keep saying this over and over, and I'll say it again. You're never a distraction. However, little ones, if you get a little restless, I get it. Been there, done that. Uh, the restless kids' room is there for you. We pump in the service. So uh, just beware, there are Krispy Kreme donuts. So parents, if you take your kids in there, uh, you've been warned. And coffee, <laughs> quite, the, quite the combination. I'm going to admit something um, that's not in my sermon notes. I feel highly inadequate to preach this morning. It's like pastoral confession time, right? We all love that. Preaching on eldership, and as I was preparing this sermon, I realized man, it's a high calling. And uh, I was challenged, as I'll mention a little bit later by the text that, that uh, Dean just read for you from 1 Peter 5. It is a high calling. And today, I'm, I'm sure Rob Lane will feel that weight as well, as we will be ordaining him as an elder of this church. So because of Rob's ordination, it did seem appropriate to preach about what it means to be an elder here, right? You all have different experiences, some of you at least, about what kind of churches you grew up in and what a pastor means, what does an elder mean, and all that kind of stuff. I get that. Um, I'm going to give you my level best, be faithful as possible to tell you 
what I think Scripture says about pastoring and eldership. And you'll see from today's sermon, becoming an elder is not like joining a, a church board. <laughs> it's not about being a part of a, com- a committee. Like the pastors are over here, and then we got like an elder board over here. You know, that's, that's not what I see in Scripture. Um, the church that the Lord used to save me um, and preach the gospel, that's what kind of the model they had. Pastors were over here, and elders did stuff over here, and really no one knew what was going on. It's not what I see in Scripture. No. Becoming an elder means caring for souls. Hear that again. Becoming an elder means caring for souls. To be an elder at Redemption Hill Church is to lay it all on the line for the church. I'm not a fan of props or pictures during a sermon, but I'm going to make an exception for this morning. Logan, can you put that up there? Several months ago, I came across this meme on social media. It's an Anatolian sheepdog after battling a wolf. The wolf was going after the sheep, and the sheepdog protected the sheep from the wolf, but was bloodied in the battle. My comment on the photo, I reposted it and made a comment, you know, and it said this, pastors need to let the lesson linger. I'm not a perfect pastor. Testify. (laughs) I'm not a perfect pastor. Rob Lane will not be a perfect pastor, but what I have agreed to in being a pastor, what Rob will agree to is that we will lay it all on the line even if that means getting bloodied. We'll lay it all on the line for you because we care about your soul. We care about your life. We care about your relationship with God. That's what you get out of an elder at Redemption Hill Church. We will lay it all on the line to care, protect, lead, and to feed. Pastoral ministry is not about becoming a celebrity. Right? We just live in this intense celebrity pastor culture. It drives me crazy. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm going to go on a tangent. I'm going to prevent myself from going there. It's not about being a celebrity pastor. It's about being a sheepdog. It's messy. It's humbling. But ultimately, pastoral ministry is about faithfully following Christ And it's about helping you to faithfully follow Christ. No matter the cost. There's a lot of noise, especially with social media and the interweb, the internet, right? A lot of noise out there, but pastoral ministry should look like, or what it does look like. What I'm telling you this morning is ignore the noise, and we're going to look at God's word to see what it means to be an elder pastor. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then we'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, I am needy and desperate this morning, and I am humbled, even just reading 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 5. and verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under your mighty hand, O Lord. And so I just need help. And I, and I do pray that 
for this church to be a greater sense of how you're building your church and why that's important to you. So Lord, I pray just to be faithful. That's my one and singular prayer for myself, but also for these folks, these precious folks in front of me, Lord. I pray that you'd help them see what you have spoken clearly through your word. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What are the duties of a pastor? I'll just lay that question out right in front. Uh, I've been in pastoral ministry for about eight plus years, and I can give you a mile-long list of responsibilities. I really can. Uh, my, my duties multiplied when we planted uh, Redemptional Church, right? Um, at the end of the day, the question is still, what should you expect from a pastor? Like, what should you expect from me? Not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday. The answer is actually quite simple. As I already mentioned, culture, social media, the internet, YouTube, muddles the answer. It's actually quite simple. In Acts 6, uh, the disciples of Jesus Christ needed to find a, a solution to a legit problem. This is how I'm going to get to the answer of what you should expect from me. It's going to God's Word. Here's the problem that was at hand. There were Hellenistic women, um, non, um, those who were not ethnically, ethnically Jewish, who were not receiving food. Right? And the disciples were like, we've got to solve this problem. These are followers of Jesus Christ. They're not Jewish. And clearly there's some type of discrimination going on. And so what did they do? They enlisted seven faithful men to go and care for them. But the question is, why didn't the disciples... Do it themselves. We read this in Acts 6.4. And we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The disciples could have gone and it would have been good. It's a good thing to serve those in need. Surely you want me to be an example of that, right? Like if I'm going to tell the whole church to go to Meals of the Heartland, you want your pastor to show up. But what are the primary responsibilities of an elder? Prayer and the ministry of the word. Acts 6 shows us the beginning of the development of two church offices, the deacon and the elder. Deacons are called by God to serve and to free up the elders for prayer and for the ministry of the word. Prayer and the ministry of the word are the primary duties of a pastor. Listen, Scripture is not silent when explaining and describing a pastor. Like, frankly, there's multiple passages I could go to to draw, draw upon to, about what it means to be a pastor, right? Uh, the mo most apparent passages include 1 Timothy 3. We got Titus 1. Like I mentioned, Acts 6. We can go to Acts 20. But for years, my heart has actually gravitated toward 1 Peter 5 as I think about pastoral ministry, as I, as I try to apply the word to my own life. While I don't have time to give a complete treatment of 1 Peter 5, verses 1 to 11, the first half of this passage gives us tremendous insight of what it means to be a pastor, what it means to not be a pastor. I mean, if I'm being brutally honest... A lot of hardship in local churches, just broadly speaking, could be prevented if this passage were taken seriously. Like seriously, 
church split. It could have been prevented if the pastor just looked at 1 Peter 5. I mean, truth be told, like I said earlier, I've been challenged again as I was studying this text. From this text, I think we can answer three questions that helps us get our mind around pastoral ministry. First, let's answer the very basic question, what is a pastor? Right? We need to define it. How does a pastor behave? That's also what we see in 1 Peter 5. Being a pastor is not about going to seminary and then receiving a job. Like, I've been to seminary. I love the education. But that's not what pastoral ministry is all about. I love education. Like, I could be in school all my life and have fun and studying Greek and Hebrew and early church history. It's my jam. But that's not what it's about. So how does a pastor behave? We need to figure that out. And then the final question, why become a pastor? More than function, motives matter. Right? Like, motives matter a tremendous amount. I want to acknowledge that this passage and this sermon will not say everything about pastors and pastoral ministry, but I think it sets us into the right direction. If you want to learn more about pastoral ministry, this is a shameless plug, um, but hopefully helpful. If you want to learn more about pastoral ministry, if you go to cornfieldtheology.com, I feel like this is an advertisement right now. And we got a you know, product placement this morning. <laughs> but I've written and, and podcasted on pastoral ministry. You can go there, just put pastoral ministry into the search bar, and you can hear more about what uh, pastoral ministry is all about. The answer to our three questions, what, how, and why, is within the context of suffering. So 1 Peter, right? It's in the context of suffering. And that might be surprising to you. It is not insignificant that Peter directs his attention to pastors right after encouraging the church to persevere in the midst of suffering. Context is really important when we read our Bible. And that's what's going on. The main point of the entire book of 1 Peter is about how Christians suffer well in the midst of this sinful and broken world. They're being persecuted. And Peter's like, persevere. The context is sobering because the Apostle Peter is saying to pastors, hey, you who are called by God, you're called to lead in the midst of brokenness. You're called to lead in the midst of suffering. You're called to care for people who are in much pain. Any notion that pastoral ministry or church life, like in general, is about unicorns and rainbows is absolutely garbage. It is. God's people are not living their best life now. Yes, I went there, Joel Wolstein. It's not about that. God's people cling to a cross, dipping with blood. But from the cross is grace, mercy, and the love of God. And as we celebrated last week, Christian hope is built upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. A good pastor reminds the church of the source of God's grace, mercy, love, 
and hope in the midst of suffering and pain. So that's the context of 1 Peter 5. That's, that's sobering. Let's now take a closer look at what's going on in these verses. Before answering the three questions, I want you to see what it says in the first part of verse 2. It's a heart check for any man desiring to be a pastor, including Sean Powers. We read, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, at first glance, first reading, you might throw that away and just kind of continue to move on. There's actually a lot going on here in these few words. The possessive language in Greek is actually essential. Is the flock of Redemption Hill Church in possession of Sean Powers? Is the flock soon to be in possession of Rob Lane? The answer is absolutely, unequivocally, no. The flock, the local church, belongs to God. Too many pastors say, my church, my ministry, and accidentally I may say that from time to time, but I try to catch myself more and more because of what we see right here in 1 Peter 5 too. This is not my church. This is God's church. And those who say my church and my ministry need to knock it off. It's God's flock. It's God's church. There's an example from the Gospel of Matthew that reinforces the point from 1 Peter 5.2. There's a dialogue going on. It's between Peter and Jesus. And in this dialogue in Matthew, uh, Peter uh, professes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And then Jesus says he will use Peter to build his church. Jesus did not tell Peter to build the church for Peter. It's not like, hey, Peter, go build yourself a bigger barn for yourself. That's not what Jesus says. Peter is to build a church for Christ. Yes, Jesus will invest authority to Peter. As we'll see in a moment, Jesus invests authority into pastors. But the authority is to be held loosely, right? Sean Powers needs to hold authority loosely. Why? Because ultimate authority doesn't come from me. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, Lord willing, when I die, and I, or I'm removed from pastoral ministry, this church continues to thrive because the authority didn't rely, rely on me, right? It relied on Jesus. The flock ultimately belongs to Christ. So that's like a major, major heart check. So what is a pastor? You might be surprised to hear that the word pastor is not technically in the New Testament. The word pastor comes from the Latin word for shepherd, which is in the Bible, and it's in 1 Peter 5. So the term shepherd is the first of three terms to describe what it means to be a pastor. I want you to cultivate the metaphor between sheep and shepherd in your minds this morning. A shepherd is with the sheep. A shepherd protects the sheep, Psalm 23, verse 4. A shepherd tends to the sheep, John 21, verses 15 to 17. A shepherd teaches the sheep, 1 Timothy 3, 2. 
A shepherd is never disconnected from the sheep. As I've said many times in my years of pastoral ministry, and I'll continue to say over and over, the smell of the sheep is on the shepherd, and the smell of the shepherd is on the sheep. Think about that kind of intimacy, that kind of relationship that exists, that should exist. Here's how one Middle Eastern shepherd describes his relationship with sheep. I'm with the sheep every day. In the summer, I sleep outside with them too. If I weren't with them every day, I shouldn't be their shepherd. The relationship between the shepherd and the, and the sheep, it's personal. It's, it's not distant. Some of you have experienced the opposite in our American church culture. There are churches just minutes away where members do not know their pastors. They don't. Thousands of people gather to hear from a person they will never talk to. They will never receive prayer from. Even worse, there are churches where the pastoral sermon is pumped onto a screen. Like, I'm kind of showing all my cards here this morning. I get that. <laughs> but we're talking about what it means to be a pastor. And to talk about it, we've got to say what, what pastor is not. So the pastor gets pumped into a screen. And I get it. I get it. The guy is a better communicator than me. You can go to YouTube right now and find thousands of pastors who, who communicate way better than I do. I, I'm not naive to that. I am not. I stumble over my words. I get it. I mispronounce words all the time. I understand I got a fact checker in my house who lets me know. And rightfully so, because I want to improve. But I am reluctant to call a person a shepherd if they're not with the sheep. One final point on this term, shepherd, and this re reinforces something I already said. In verse 4, we read that Jesus is the chief shepherd. So pastors are called shepherds, and we have Jesus who is the chief shepherd. Now, this is where I get a little geeked out, so bear with me for a moment. The prefix to chief shepherd is arche, right? It literally means first or beginning. And when you go to the Gospel of John, it says this, first verse in the Gospel of John, in the beginning, in the arche was the word. Here's my point. All earthly shepherds must be, must be, mm, no uncertain terms, must be submitted to the one who is in the beginning the chief shepherd. Period. Hard stop. There's so much more I could say on that point, but we must move on. The second term used to describe pastor in this passage is overseer. Uh, we see the word overseer in verse 2, which also shows up in 1 Timothy 3. In 1 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul says that pastors assume the office of overseer. I mean, listen to the, the, the Greek word of overseer. It might sound familiar to your ears. It's episcope. <laughs> Did you perk up? What does that mean? 
It's where the Episcopal Church gets their word, right? For overseer. What does it mean for a pastor to oversee a church? Well, it assumes a position or office of spiritual responsibility. And the office of overseer is not passive, but it's active. There is a sense that a pastor overseeing God's flock has been given authority and must use its authority to rightly care for and protect and feed the flock. In other words, God has created his church for people to, be fi- to fill specific roles, right? Pastor is a role that needs to be filled. The other one I already mentioned is the diaconate, the deacon. So what does this indicate? God cares for order and structure. Right? He cares for that thing. Right? You, re- you read the Bible from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation. You read how God cares for order and structure. And it should be in the church as well. I mean, sometimes I run into Christians that want to decentralize structure and authority in the church. And I just say, okay, but that's not what we read in Scripture. So overseer is an actual office within the church. The third and most dominant term used for pastor in 1 Peter 5 is the word elder, which I've already used. The Greek word for elder is presbyteros. Sounds like Presbyterian, right? So we're using terms here. The other way to translate presbyteros is old. Now a little bit of levity for a moment. In a few minutes, I'll ordain Rob Lane, and um, some would say Rob would be, I mean, not my words, your daughter's words from the other day, old. (laughs) I won't give away your age, brother. Older than dirt. We'll go with that. Actually, I got a better way to think about this, actually. I think presbyteros is indicating something, actually, something more significant. It means Christian maturity. Presbyteros describes a person who has grown in the faith and can help others grow in the faith. The Bible gives some precedent when it says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 6, that an elder must not be a new believer or a convert. How long does a person need to be a Christian before potentially becoming an elder? The Bible is silent, and the question misses the point. An elder must be a mature man of God who is called to lead God's flock. You know, I graduated from seminary in 2010, and um, one would expect when you get your diploma and you frame it up that you're going to get a job where? In the church. Well, Sean Powers was was definitely not ready for that. And I thank God for the years that followed where I was working in the business world, where God was still working on my heart and on my own maturity. Not only that, because the people I worked with uh, knew I went to seminary. I became their de facto pastor. And I learned, I learned a lot about people, about brokenness, as I was working in the secular world. Here's the bottom line. I needed to grow in my relationship with God before becoming a pastor. It was a maturity issue in Sean Powers. God didn't need a little boy to shepherd his flock needed a sheepdog. So shepherd, overseer, and elder are all terms to describe what it means to be a pastor. I appreciate how uh, one commentator, Edmund Clowney, pulls all three terms together. Here's what he said. The elder has authority 
he is called to exercise a shepherd's oversight. Christ, the chief shepherd, has called him to exercise a shepherd's care. But the under-shepherd is not a stand-in for the Lord. I'm not a stand-in for the Lord. He presents the word of the Lord, not his own decree. If I'm ever presenting my own decree, please come after me. I invite you. I mean, I'm not just talking words. I mean that. He enforces the revealed will of the Lord. That's what I should be doing. That's what Rob will be doing. We don't desire, we don't proclaim our own wishes. For that reason, any undermining of the authority of Scripture turns church government into spiritual tyranny. If church governors add to or subtract from the Word of God, they make themselves Lord over the conscience of others. We say, we see too much of that kind of garbage in American church. The pastor trying to use his authority to accomplish his end goal, not God's will. In light of what we read in 1 Peter 5 and from Clowney's statement, I would sum up the role of pastor with this statement. Pastors are called by God to point to point the sheep to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And this is done through the faithful stewarding of God's word and through prayer, as I mentioned about Acts 6, verse 4. So pastors are shepherds, elders, and overseers. All these terms are used interchangeably in the New Testament and inform how a local church is to be led. Now on to our second question, which won't last as long. How does a pastor behave, right? So we've got some of the qualifications in addition to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We have qualifications there as well. Now the next question is, how does a pastor behave or not behave, as I already mentioned? In 1 Peter 5, we see this is not an exhaustive list of describing the behavior of a, of a pastor, but it does highlight a couple warnings for pastors. Uh, John Calvin lays out these three warnings. I found them helpful and I'll use that as a guide. In exhorting pastors to their duty, God points out three vices especially, which are often to be found, namely sloth, desire for gain, and a lust for power. Let's take the first one, sloth or, or laziness. Here, here's the rest of verse 2 with the first warning. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, I already mentioned that, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. In other words, elders should not be coaxed into doing what they're called to do. Like, you shouldn't have to twist my arm to prepare a sermon and come up and preach. Exercising oversight of the sheep should not be a burden, but needs to be done willingly. And then I would add, also done with joy, Hebrews 13.7. I mean, truly, if joy wanes for a pastor, so will his willingness to oversee God's flock. Now, joy isn't like, oh, I'm happy all the time. You see the smile on the face, you know, 24-7. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not biblical joy. If a pastor doesn't have joy and is not willing, he will become lazy. Now, is it true that pastoral ministry, like any other activity, can have its ups and downs? Absolutely. It's life, right? Remember, the context of 1 Peter is what? Suffering and pain. Life's hard, for sure. 
But even during the downs, the question can still be asked, is a pastor doing his God-given duty willingly, or does it feel like a drudge? Like, oh, I got to see you people again, right? I think Peter's point also helps us to see that no one should be persuaded into being an elder. The calling to pastoral ministry must be internal and external. An internal call from God and an external call by leaders within the local church. Otherwise, lack will joy, duty will be a drudge, and the flock will not be served. Shepherding God's flock should be done willingly. It also says in verse 3 that elders are to not serve for shameful gain, but eagerly, right? A pastor does not serve a church for a paycheck. Just putting it out there. Instead, he serves the Lord with eagerness. It is worth noting that many people do get into ministry because it's a means of earning money. I've just met too many uh, folks in seminary who are like, I just can get that paycheck. When someone serves in the church for shameful gain and not the Lord, that is akin to fraud. I mean, think about that. If someone serves in the church for shameful gain and not for the Lord, that is akin to fraud. These situations need to be condemned. On the other side of the proverbial coin, Peter's not saying that an elder should not be paid. Peter, in verse 3, is saying that an elder should not be a pastor for shameful gain. Paul affirms in 1 Timothy, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the preaching and teaching of the word, right? For the scripture says you should not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So taken together, we see that Peter's point is simple. If money is the motivation for ministry, guess what? You're not called to ministry. (laughs) If money is the motivation for ministry, you will not be eager to serve in a manner that honors Christ. These first two warnings and corrections certainly are like a heart check for anyone who wants to pursue pastoral ministry and really anyone who's currently in pastoral ministry. Go read 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3. And now, in verse 3, the attention shifts to an inward motivation, to an outward behavior. Elders should not be domineering over those in charge, but be examples to the flock. Pastors, under no circumstances, are to use their position of authority to oppress those who are under him. Now, pastors have God-ordained biblical authority to feed, to tend, protect God's flock? Absolutely, 100%. Yet the exercise of such authority is always in service to the Lord because it's God's flock. And an elder is to serve as an example to the flock. Dean didn't read this particular verse, but I'm going to point it out, 1 Peter 5, 6. And I do think this is within the context of talking about pastoral ministry. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. I remind myself of that verse far too often because I'm a sinner and I need to be humbled. For the purpose of this message, every pastor needs to take 
verse 6 to heart. This verse checks pride at the door and negates the opportunity for a pastor to domineer over the flock. Right? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Well, that'll do something to your heart. For a moment, let's return to the metaphor of pastor and elder as a shepherd. Shepherding in the first century was a lowly position. It was not an esteemed profession. By its nature, being a shepherd was a a humbling profession. And yet, because of sin, 21st, 21st century shepherding is done with pride, which Peter is warning against, right? It was done with pride then. It can be done with pride now, for sure. For a pastor to domineer over one sheep is an expression of the sin of pride. Jesus calls his under-shepherds to be better. Jesus calls his under-shepherds to be men defined by Christ-like humility. Like, I get it. I'm not... I'm not perfect. Rob's not perfect. But that's what we're striving for day in and day out as pastors, Christ-like humility. Now, on to our last question, why become a pastor? There are a lot of reasons people will come up with to be a pastor, right? Some reasons are good. Others are bad. Some men have a deep sense of calling from God. That's great. I know that some men love the local church, and there's just a desire to serve the local church. Like, that's great too. Some men love to teach God's word and the church is just a natural outlet for, for teaching and preaching. But 1 Peter 5 indicates another reason to serve and lead as a pastor. Pastors should desire to serve the church because of a desire to be faithful to the chief shepherd. All of these warnings for pastors are meant to motivate pastors to faithfulness. Like all these warnings, don't be lazy, not for shameful gain. Don't be domineering, but be faithful. God has entrusted pastors to care for the souls of his flock. The greatest calling from God to a pastor is just to be faithful with with whatever God has given. The goal of pastoral ministry is not to increase the church budget. Remember we talk about money, eyes always go, Right? That's not the goal of pastoral ministry. The goal of pastoral ministry is to not to get more butts into the seat. The goal of pastoral ministry is not to build bigger barns. The goal is not to be well published. The goal of pastoral ministry is not to accumulate a massive following on Twitter or Instagram. The goal of pastoral ministry isn't to have a million people listen to the sermon or podcast. The goal of pastoral ministry is to be faithful to shepherd the flock of God. Listen, if God adds to this flock, praise God. If God gives the church 100K to buy land, Praise God. All that's fine, but it's not the motive. The motive of pastoral ministry is faithfulness to God, no more and no less. I firmly believe that healthy, God-fearing, and faithful pastors cultivate healthy churches. I think there's something to be said that leadership matters, right? 
Again, no man other than Christ is perfect, but a pastor is constantly fixated on Christ to grow in Christ. Pastors are an example to the flock. Healthy pastors and healthy churches are unapologetic in their fidelity to God's word in Christ. I know this about Rob, and I think you've found this with me. I'm unapologetic about what God says in his word, and I'm unapologetic about following Jesus. Regardless what the culture says. Faithful pastors lead the way in opening God's word and focusing on Christ. Why become a, become a pastor? Because there's nothing more important than being faithful to tell you and others about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more significant than being faithful to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. That's why I'm a pastor. That's why Rob Lane is going to be ordained to be a pastor in this church because we love Jesus. We want to be faithful to Jesus, and we want you to love Jesus, and we want you to be faithful to Jesus. That is what pastoral ministry is all about. Let's pray, and then we'll transition into the Lord's table, and then to Rob's ordination. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.